Hail and well met, everybody. Welcome to Geek Thyself, a show by nerds, for nerds, who love geeking out over random facts and esoteric trivia. My name is Heather. I'm Russell. And we'll be your hosts for this journey through the wondrous land of information. Hi, hi everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of Geek Thyself. Hey all. Uh, welcome to this week's episode. Hello. I need to turn that off because that's going to interrupt with the microphone. There we go. <laughs> it's all right. Um, so we are here again doing a topic we actually said we were going to do in the previous episode. That's, mm-hmm. that's a shock. Uh, we are going to be talking about snooker. Now, I think like a decent question to ask is like, because... Uh, obviously, my partner is American, and I have mm-hmm. a fair few American friends. And every time I've ever said the word snooker, I'm always ridiculed for the for the words <laughs> because I I'm going to assume that it's not really a thing over there. Snooker is not so much a thing over here. No, um, pool pool is very popular mm. over here. I would say that snooker is not. Mm. Um, however, you have to keep in mind. Yes. Sorry, just turning off my space heater. You have to keep in mind that my father was British. Yes. So, so my exposure to some of these words is a higher yes. than, than the average okay. American. Yes, that's fair. I remember, uh, as a small deviation, when I first started playing Dungeons and Dragons with you and uh, people in our original game, mm-hmm. and I mentioned that I was going to see a snooker uh, tournament. And I think I heard the word snooker for the next three months. (laughs) But it's fine. Probably. Not for me, though. No, no, no. I do have a question, because while I know a lot about snooker, what is the difference between pool and billiards? So, I am am not a professional at this. I don't play these games regularly. My understanding is that pool and billiards are basically the same thing. Hmm. Uh, let me Google this because now I'm curious and I don't know. Okay, yeah, because I've I think always it, thought the words were interchangeable, but I think maybe they're not. Might okay. So okay, so billiards refu- uh, refers to any type of cue sport, right? So, so including carom, billiards, pool, and snooker. On the other right. hand, pool specifically refers to a game played on a pool table. So technically. Pool is a billiards game. Billiards are not automatically pool. It's it's one of those things like a square is a rectangle, but a rectangle is not necessarily a square. Okay, interesting. Uh, so, because I've also got something here that says billiards is played on a table without pockets and only has three balls. So I'm really confused. Oh wait, no, is that specifically English billiards? It. There is a note here on my um, thing that I pulled up that says traditionally billiards tables do not have pockets. So right, yes. old school okay. traditional billiards, which is probably played in England. Um, it is called English billiards. Yes. Yeah. Mm. Doesn't uh, have pockets. Okay. I've, you know, that's not the topic, but that's an interesting thing. So. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So pool right. is pretty popular over here. Um, mm-hmm. I would say that Pool and billiards probably get used rather interchangeably over here. I think I people imagine, say billiards when they're trying to sound fancy. 
Maybe, but I also imagine that the game Billiards, which I've just looked at, is probably not played much anymore. Like, uh, with with three balls on the table and no pockets, I wouldn't. I would be very surprised to see a billiards table, a real one. Uh, even, yeah, yeah. Even in the UK, so yeah, I think that, that it's just become an interchangeable thing. Uh, what isn't interchangeable is uh, pool and snooker. They're very different. <laughs> yes, that's uh, and, what I've gathered from what you've described. Yeah, uh, it was first played in 1875 in India, but was still invented by British by the British because it was played. It was invented by British soldiers on deployment in India. Mm-hmm. Okay, so... Mo- Mowgli yeah. has come to say hi and complain. Oh, dear. Because I'm recording instead of paying attention to him. Uh, I mean, I understand. <laughs> so, but yeah, snooker originated in the second half of the 19th century, 1875, and it was billiards. Uh, the, the, the game that is uh, with only three balls was a popular game amongst the British army officers stationed in Jubilore in India. And several variations of the game were devised during this time. And a similar game, uh, which originated in the officers' mess of the 11th Devonshire Regiment in 1875, combined the two rules, uh, the two pool games, Pyramid Ball, which is 15 red balls positioned on a triangle, and Black Ball, which involved uh, potting of designated balls. So Blackpool would be... What More what I'm familiar with, I think, yeah. yeah. Where yeah. you have the right. eight ball that you sink last and stuff like that. Which is a reason why the table needs to be bigger because it contains the ball sets from two very different games. Otherwise, you've run out of room very quickly. Mm-hmm. Especially yeah. as it's spaced up through the table, uh, the way a, a pool table is set out. Uh, there is the, uh, the 15 red balls in a triangle, like in a regular sort of pool game, which you'd see. And then be- below that is the black ball. Right above them is the pink. Then you have the blue... And then you have three that go up where you know where the semicircle is where you shoot from and the where would you put the white? So wait, wait, wait. Are snooker balls different sizes? Uh, they aren't, but there are more of them. Okay. Because with within eight ball, there are fifteen balls in the triangle, and that's it. Right. But with snooker, there's those fifteen, and then there's another six uh, balls which are spread around the table. Gotcha. Uh, three three on the 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 start line uh in the semicircle and then three horizontal going down the table in line with the red balls okay uh, if, so if i show you a table you've sent me a picture of a table so i've seen i've seen the table it's definitely bigger than a pool table for, no uh but for any I don't of know our if it had the balls on it so i'm just like that's what i mean oh, like uh, had the tables uh, right so, uh, um, yeah, yeah okay. for any of our american listeners um, the average pool table, I think, is like eight feet long. Uh, six or six to eight feet long, and the, uh, the, the snooker table size? is much longer. <laughs> yeah, the super ta- uh, the snooker table measures eight uh, eleven feet eight point eight and a half inches by five foot ten on the on the short side, and I've just sent you a picture of how the balls will be set up. So. So it's set up almost like a cross, and then the reds are down at the bottom of the table. Okay, yes. So uh, bar size pool tables are seven feet by three and a half feet. Mm -hmm. And professional size tables are eight feet by four feet. So it's another three feet longer. (laughs) It's it's a big table. And about two feet wider, roughly. Mm Mm-hmm. 
So, it's a big uh, but, table. But, that's, but that is all to accommodate the fact that it has an additional seven ball on the table of a regular sort of pool game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I mean, like having played pool, and when I've played pool, it's been at bars and stuff, and I never measured the table, so I have no idea if it they were professional versus bar sized. Mm-hmm. But regardless, um, with just the balls that were already on the table, you definitely had crowding, and there were definitely times where it was hard to get to the ball you were aiming for because of the way the balls split. Mm-hmm. Um, at the break. So I can only yep. imagine that if you add in another six balls on top of that, it becomes that much harder. Um, and especially with, I mean, you've described snooker to me a little bit, so I know mm-hmm. there's like specific orders you have to do the balls in. Uh, yes and no. Uh, <clears throat> there, there is a specific order, but not a specific color order. Uh, it go, you have to pot a red first, then you can pot any color, and then back to any red. Mm-hmm. And then once all the reds are gone, you have to then go up ascending from the yellow to the black, because the yellow's worth two points, and the black is worth seven. So once all the reds, which are worth one point, are gone, then you go up in ascending color order. Got it. It's really, so, it's, it's, it's really confusing. So there's a little bit of an order. It's not yes. It's not the same as pool where you have to start with the one and go to the two, or two and three and four, and you have to count go up in number. Mm, yeah. Um, or well, okay, there's different types of, there's different yeah, variations so, of Some you do, some you don't. Some you, you just aim for yeah. the stripe or the spot, yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, but you just have to do the eight ball last. So, um, but yeah, if you have to do a specific order like that where you have to hit a red ball before you can hit a different ball, then I can understand why they'd want a bigger table because it would make it even harder if you were on a regular, like, pool size table. Yeah, um, absolutely. Uh, as for, like, when you're... When professionals are playing, obviously, uh, the break is almost, uh, it averages out that I think two red balls are, are moved from the pack and one of them tends to end up back in the back, mm. <laughs> um, which is all about how they, they play safety uh, and, you know, they can actually play the game well. Uh, also, mm-hmm. another fun fact is that Sir Neville Ch- Chamberlain, uh, where, is, where is it? I just saw it. Uh who's fairly well recognized within the British Army is a key person involved in creating the game of snooker, which is fun. Uh, so we so within the uh, the early twentieth century snooker was played in the United Kingdom, pretty much only, where it was considered a gentleman's sport. And in about the sixties, uh, it before growing in popularity uh, in about the 60s it became a national sort of pastime so it became our version of pool as both were being mm-hmm. developed at the same kind of time but we 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 stuck we, we stick to snooker and you kept pool although to be fair nowadays it's very difficult to find but uh, like i said you wouldn't find a pool table just in a random um pub or bar or mm-hmm. club or whatever you want to call it <laughs> no i mean when i went to england and visited my family that they definitely had pool tables in the yes. uh in the bars the pubs but they didn't have snooker tables at least not that i ever saw i don't remember ever seeing a pool table that was that large to where it could be a snooker table mm-hmm. I, it, it doesn't surprise me though for a couple of different reasons I mean, even just from what little you've described of the rules already in this episode, they sound like generally they are more complicated than pool. 
It's a more complicated game, yeah, absolutely. Um, and so pool is very, very easy for the average person to, like, you don't, you aren't necessarily good at it, but you can at least figure oh. out what you're supposed to be doing. It, like, it, it, it fits into a bar, get a bar, bar sport, like darts yeah. and stuff. You can just throw a dart. You, you might not mm-hmm. be very good at it, but you can do it. Yeah, exactly. And with pool, you might not be very good at it, but you you can hit a ball with a stick. Yeah, absolutely. and you can aim for a solid or a stripe. Like that's not yeah. complicated. Yeah. Whereas uh, snooker is a lot, a lot more interesting. Uh, well, no, a lot more complex. There we go. That's mm-hmm. the one. Uh, on top of like it becoming popular in the sixties, the BBC uh, first launched its color television service. In 1967, and two years uh, later, in 1969, Sir David Attenborough, then the controller of the BBC Two, commissioned uh, the snooker tournament television series, uh, Pot Black. Hmm. So, uh, Sir David Attenborough, you probably know from the news and mm-hmm. all kinds of nature shows. Yes. Um, he uh, all commissioned the, best. the first. <laughs> absolutely. He commissioned the first uh, television uh, series uh, revolving around snooker. Um, I see. That's very it, cool. And it was primarily to, to showcase the potential of the BBC's new colour television system because the table had to be green and there were, there were several different colour balls. Mm-hmm. So it made sense to, to showcase on colour TV because you, yeah. you really couldn't watch um, snooker in black and white. It would be much more difficult. Yeah, although, that wouldn't make much sense when you have to hit specific colour balls. Although I will say uh, there is a world championship player he was colorblind. Huh. So does someone um, have to tell him which balls are what color? He he can see the, all the different colors. He only needs clarification between the brown and the red. Oh, well, that's cool. Yeah. So uh, he if he can ask anyone uh, around the table um, if what he's aiming at is actually a red or a brown, and they have to be honest with him. Mm-hmm. But they, they wouldn't lie anyway. It's a, It's a very... It, it, it's very sportsmanship. That's that sportsmanship. It's like a gentleman agreement, that kind of thing. Right. It's fair play. Yeah, absolutely. So it, well, yeah, it's um, it's fair play and honestly inclusivity. Like he yeah, he can't help that he's colorblind. He's still good at the game. There's he's, no he's reason amazing. to sabotage yeah. him. No, but yeah. So he he only needs to ask. He doesn't need to ask all the time. But I've seen him when he has actually needed to ask, which is always fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. Uh, that came out uh, to showcase the potential of the BBC's colour thing, and, <clears throat> and it provided an ideal opportunity to demonstrate the adventures of new broadcasting technology. And the yeah. series became amazingly successful for a show about snooker. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for the time, it was the second most popular show on the BBC, too, behind Morecambe and Wise. I don't know if you've ever heard of Morecambe and Wise. It sounds vaguely familiar. It's one of the first panel comedy shows sketch shows that we had in the uk oh that's why i know that name when i visited england mm. and was walk uh, going around with my family we stopped at a seaside town mm-hmm. i'm blanking on the name right now i think it started with a w but it had a statue of morcom uh, um okay. doing his like one leg up pose I, yeah. I i posed there with my um my dad's cousin i Oh, that's driving me crazy now that I can't remember the name of the little village. It was really cute. Um, Whitby, I think. Uh, Something like it that. Could be. 
Uh, I'm not entirely sure. It was Either on of the... Them were... Well, yeah. I mean, this would be near Yorkshire and Lancashire, because that's my family lives in the northern part of England for the most part. Um, uh, yeah, I mean... It was something like, like that. I'm, I'm looking at where they were born, and neither of them were born in a W town, so I'm not mm. entirely sure, unfortunately. But it doesn't, surprise me that there's, it doesn't surprise me that there are statues of them. But they're incredibly uh, influential in the beginning of British television. So Snooker came second to yes, them. Yes, that's and the one. It's Oh, it's in Morecambe, England. That that's that makes sense. Oh, uh, Morecambe? <clears throat> yeah, yeah. That makes, that makes a lot of sense. He took the name from the place, yeah. Uh, so yeah, in the same year, uh, the 1969 World Championship reverted to a knockout tournament <coughs> with, eight, with eight players who competed. And and uh, due to these developments, the year the the year nineteen sixty nine is taken to mark the beginning of snooker's modern era. So whenever you see most stats and sort of figures, they all come from then. Oh, mm. right. But uh, okay, what was that? Okay, yeah. Uh, the World Snooker Championship moved uh, in nineteen seventy seven to the Crucible Theatre in Sheffield and has been played there every year since 1977. Okay, and Sheffield, if I'm remembering correctly, Sheffield is not too far away from you, correct? It's not super far. It were, it took us about two hours of travel, which I know sounds like a very short distance for <laughs> you guys, but for us, that's, it's a medium distance. Uh, but yeah, it wasn't too far. Uh, but yeah, so it's been played in there since 1977, which means 8797. Yeah, I mean, distance travel times are very skewed when you talk to an American, <laughs> especially an American who lives in California, because it takes us like eight hours to get from one end of the state to the other. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that means that this year, which was uh, the tournament that's about to start in, in like a couple of weeks, is going to be the 45th uh, World Championship, which is awesome. Nice. Right. Very uh, cool. And I was looking and I saw that it looks like they added it to the Olympics in 2011? Uh, 2001, I think. 2001. Did I misread that? Yeah, 2001. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, World Game 2001. So, yeah, it is recognized as uh, an Olympic sport, although, or Olympic level sport, but I don't think it's actually played at the Olympics. It's like one of those ones. Uh, actually, no, it might be played at the Olympics. Maybe. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I don't know. So. But yeah, so snooker quickly became a mainstream sport within the United Kingdom and Ireland, and much of the Commonwealth as well, and has remained consistently popular since the late 70s, with most of the major tournaments being televised. In 1985, an estimated 18.5 million viewers stayed up until the early hours of the morning to watch the World Championship between Dennis Taylor and Steve Davis, uh, Steve Davis a record viewership in the UK for any broadcast on BBC2 or any broadcast after midnight. Because uh, you remember when I said uh, last week with the rules that there are eight frames in a uh, in a session. Yes. Um, that is true, except for the final session of the tournament. That just goes until it's over, and that was and my um, mum watched that one uh, live, and it finished um, like I think about two in the morning. Oh God! Starting at seven o'clock at night. That's a long time to be playing this kind of a game, especially when Absolutely. it's when it, there's that much mental involvement of having to like look at your angles and make sure you're hitting the right ball and all of that stuff. That that's a lot. For sure, for sure. Okay. All right. So I've just realized I've been talking 
way too long about random things because I really do like this game. <laughs> uh, so I'm going to do just a quick, a simple case. Uh, so yeah, we've done the rules. A player wins a frame by scoring more points than their opponent. At the start of the frame, uh, the object balls are positioned on the table. Uh, like we've already said, there are three at the top of the table uh, in where the semicircle is. The blue is, is in the direct centre. Then the pink is just in front of the pack of reds, which are 15. And then right at the bottom of the table uh, is the black. Got it. Um, and then, so uh, j- just to draw a comparison for our American listeners who play pool or have played yeah. pool like I have. So basically, you've got the regular triangle of balls, but they're yeah. all red. Yeah. And then in front of that, you have, which color? In front of that, you have the pink ball. Yep. Behind right it, you have the, the black right ball. Right at the top of the triangle. Yep. In the middle of the table is the blue ball. And then mm-hmm. you've got a green, red, white, and yellow ball lined up on the like starting line uh the yellow brown and green the white ball is the cue ball oh that's right that's where it it, it would start within the within the semicircle that's where you start from the break which is why it's on that as the illustration got it got it yeah okay uh yeah yeah it's definitely a lot more balls than regular pool (laughs) absolutely and so like we've already said that you go back and forth between the colors and every color gets put back on the table while there's still reds. Oh. So, so, so you so can you pop... keep earning those points over and over as long as there's red balls to put in yes. before the colors. Cool. Yeah. Which is why it's the the traditional strategy is most people try to aim for the bottom of the table and then go between red and black and back and forth right at the bottom of the table to get as many points as possible before shooting up to the top of the table for the other colors. I was going to say, because the black ball's worth the most points, right? It's worth seven, yeah. Yeah, and so, you can keep sinking the black ball over and over again by those rules Yeah. until you finish all of the red balls, and then you have to yeah. switch to getting there. That makes sense. That's a good yeah. strategy. Yeah. I would do which that. Is, <laughs> yeah, which is why the maximum score that you can get in the game is 147. So Because it's eight pairs of 15, and then six, five, four, three, two... And then an extra seven on the end of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. So, and that's how you would end a a frame. The game would end when somebody's too far ahead and there aren't enough colours on the table. And then they would go into the next frame, which it, it can depend on the professional setting with how many frames there would be to the match. Sometimes it's single elimination, Some, but it, within the tournament... Uh, they start around 13 frames, so you have to win best out of 13, and then it goes up throughout the tournament. Okay. And you said it it goes until, until sometimes when there's too big a point difference? What, yeah. Like, what's that number look like? Is it just based off of how many balls are left on the table versus how many points the lead has? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, because anytime a red is popped, um, it's it is the equivalent of losing eight points off the table, mm-hmm. because if the next person missed the next color, it doesn't matter that they missed it. That color is not available to the opponent, because that red has still gone down the pocket. They were then them to start on a red, right? Uh, so those points go down as the person on the table is potting more and more, and eventually it becomes a point where they're too far ahead where they would need um, penalties and fouls 
in order to actually catch up and then eventually it goes beyond where it would be feasible for people to keep playing because mm-hmm. like uh, there are some there are some fouls so if you uh don't hit a red uh when you're aiming when you've got to hit a red ball that's a foul of four points and if you pot a color when you shouldn't have potted a color that can be a foul up to a minimum of four points but if it's anything above the blue it's uh the amount that the ball's worth so five six or seven points on the foul okay yeah so Uh, depending on fouls and depending on how many points the leader has put in the pot Mm -hmm. that would determine whether or not the person behind them even has a chance to make enough points absolutely that's a lot of Uh, math on the judges part uh yes absolutely um but that's why they're they're pretty good at it uh so so yeah snooker match consists of a predetermined number of frames most matches in current professional tournaments are played at the best of 7, 9 or 11 with the finals usually at 17 or 19 but the world championship starts at 19 frames and ends at a best of 35 for the final which is why which is why the last one went until so long which is so the final game is held over four separate sessions uh, over two days uh, um, yeah, I'm not surprised because otherwise so, no one would sleep. Yeah, and some early world finals, such as the 1947 World Snooker Championship, uh, was played over the best of 145 frames. Oh my god! Yeah, it's ridiculous. They don't put that. On, they didn't put that on TV. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So now that I've talked Heather's ear off and your ears off about the rules mm-hmm. and stuff. We're going to, I think it's probably about time for us to dip into the mid-roll and then we'll talk a little bit about some world uh, records and some best players and like most winnings and stuff and yeah but we'll go into our mid-roll before then so we'll see you in just a moment. Uh, hi everyone, welcome to the mid-roll. No. Alright, so like always, we wanted to start off talking about World Anvil. For anyone who hasn't looked up World Anvil, I highly recommend you do. It's worldanvil.com. It is the most robust and thorough web uh, website and software that we've found that allows you to manage your campaign or your story if you're write, an author writing any kind of a novel or book. Um, I can't even describe to you every single feature within the time frame that we have for the mid-roll. There's so many things you can do with it. There's maps, there's ways to link characters to different locations, there's ways to link characters to each other and what their relationships are. You can make timelines so that you can put in the history of the world that you've created or the history of your story that you are writing. Um, You can decide who has access to things and what sort of things are secret or behind a paywall if you have a Patreon that you're having people support you through. There's so many things you can do and you can sign up for free and try it out and see all of their amazing features. And then if you want any of their paid features, you just sign up for a membership. And the membership prices are very reasonable, honestly, for all the stuff they give you. So I definitely recommend you check it out. It's worldanvil.com. And on top of everything else, the people that run it are really nice. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, other places that we love to support and I'm really happy they support us. Are uh, the fine folks at Chaos of Die Hard at dieharddice.com. We've spoken about them so, 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 so much, but they have wonderful dice, uh, both metal, acrylic, and in all kinds of styles that you like. Uh, they created their own uh, specific molds, uh, which they use for their metal dice, 
and have flourished uh, for, for, for ages now. Uh, they also have great um, uh, accessories. I forgot the word accessories, like their scroll of <laughs> rolling, their pop-up dice trays, uh, mm -hmm. which are all good for compact now that we can start to go out again. Well, let's still be careful. Uh, like uh, they have their metal meatball tokens for people who like to you know blink up their game boards. I'm I'm one of those people. I like to do that. <laughs> um, they have amazing dice with their spell running series, which have like multiple colors in them. Their uh, multi-class dice, which are magnetic and clicked together, and are all super super wonderful. And they have free shipping for you fine American folks and discounted shipping for uh, everyone else, which is great. You can use the code NERDSMITH for 10% off your first order next order with them. So if you do see anything you like, all you need to do is go to dieharddice.com and roll with the best. So, with all that being said, we're going to get back into snooker, where I'm going to talk more and ask some questions <laughs> for Heather, I imagine. Right. Probably. <laughs> yes. Okay, everyone. Welcome back. Okay, uh, a couple of little bits of criticism that I'll go over before we get into like uh, some some players and stuff. Uh, several players, including some big names in the game, called Bronnie O'Sullivan, Mark Allen, Steve Davis, have warned that there are too many tournaments during the season, which uh, and it risks uh, player burnout. In 2012, O'Sullivan played fewer tournaments to spend more time with his children, and in the 2012-2013 season, ranked 19th in the world. Bearing in mind this person was ranked number one when he, uh, yeah, the year before, so he dropped down a significant amount of spaces, and he only played one tournament in 2013, which was the World Championship, and then he won it. <laughs> so. Um, there are a lot of tournaments that happen throughout the year, and for the people who aren't top 16 in the world, um, they have to fight for their, for their spaces. The top 16 are automatically seeded into the, the, the televised shows, mm -hmm. and then everyone below that has to basically battle out for their place. Typically, a lot of the people in the top 32 eventually end up playing at, at the televised world championship, but they have to qualify for, them, for it. Which right. is, uh, well, I mean, that makes sense, especially with how long you're describing some of these games going, mm -hmm. because if they don't, like, they need to make sure at least the best of the best are in there, and if they don't limit the numbers on who can participate in these, I mean, you'd literally never have anything else on TV. Absolutely not. Well, to be fair, uh, only the only like uh, the top thirty two is uh, televised, but yeah, there are many other tournaments that happen throughout the year. Uh, some are televised on different channels, some aren't. But there is still, uh, it ends up that you end up playing snooker er every two weeks for those kind of long, long games, which mm -hmm. as as I say can lead to play burnout. Uh, also, another thing that I don't particularly like about the game, which it's getting better at, but way too slowly for for it being twenty twenty two. Some leagues have allowed clubs to exclude female players from tournaments. Oh, that's stupid. League and the league committee leadership ha has defended the practice. Quote, if we lose two of these clubs uh, with men-only policies, we would lose four teams, and we can't afford to lose four teams, otherwise we would have no league. <laughs> A World Woman Snooker represent, uh, spokesperson comment commented, it is, really, it is disappointing and unacceptable that in 2019, which is when there was... Uh, gone into uh, practice just for COVID, that SIC players such as uh, Rebecca Kenner have been a victim of antiquated discriminatory practices. Speaking of, Rebecca uh, Kenner uh, is a English professional world uh, snooker player 
and has earned uh, the right to be within the, the top 16 seeded players. But she's the exception to the rule and it's difficult to get more female people into the tournament. And it's really that, sad. That's so frustrating. That feels very much to me like one of those... Um... <sighs> Okay, like, to be fair, I think it is something that people think of stereotypically. Not that it is necessarily the case for everything, but I think it's something that people think of as very stereotypically old Britain and also, um, like, old New England. Very, like, we're the posh white men with lots of money. We're going to dictate our gentleman's club. It's very gentleman's club, which makes me think... Which always makes me think of like old school Britain and also like old school New England. Like that same type of old money and the gentlemen's clubs and you had to have the right connections and you had to be invited and all this kind of stuff. It just reeks of that and it, that's okay. unfortunate. So yeah, just as, a, as another point, Rebecca Kenner uh, in the year 2018 won the Yorkshire Ladies Snooker Championship. Good for her. Um, but she, yeah, and she has also had the highest ranking of third in the world. Cool. But still finds it, still find it difficult to play in the world championship, yeah. which is which is not cool. No, not at all. So. Okay. So, <coughs> excuse me. I'm just going to casually start dying. Right. So I'm, I'm uh, also seeing a note here about. Uh, that tournaments now routinely feature female referees. So they're allowed to referee the games, but they can't play them. That's stupid. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, There have been a lot more female referees coming into the scene. Uh, And yeah, it is ridiculous that they can referee, but they can't play. It feels a bit sexist, quite frankly. (laughs) Just a bit. (laughs) Just a little bit. Okay. So, uh, so, the Snooker World Championship by winners. List of World Number One Snooker players. Maximum. So I've got a fun few uh, stats just to go over stuff. Uh, some of the miscellaneous ones. Uh, the the fastest. Oh, sorry. Uh, the most 147s, which is a uh, perfect game, has been uh, achieved by Ronnie O'Sullivan, who we just mentioned, and they have 15 in professional tournament play. 15 perfect games. And they also have the world record for the fastest 147 perfect game at 5 minutes 8 seconds. And he did that when he was a teenager. Wow. Uh, the youngest ever world champion is uh, was Stephen Henry at 21 years old. And the oldest ever world champion was Ray Reardon at 45 years old. The youngest ever ranking tournament winner, Ronnie O'Sullivan at 17 years old. That's impressive. And he's still playing? He's still playing, yeah. He's now in his late 30s, I want to say. I've got, I've okay, and I'm, I'm looking looking at uh, his titles. He's also oh, wow. won the most so, world 46. titles. Yeah, absolutely. Since 2000, um, he's won six. He won in 2001, mm-hmm. 2004, 2008, 2012, 2013, and 2020. Yeah, absolutely. And has been ranked number one in the world multiple, multiple times. Uh, oh, I know, sorry, I forgot to mention. Uh, snooker players all pick a nickname uh, when they become professional. Uh, his is the Rocket. Uh, 
based on the fact that he scored he has the, the fastest uh perfect game in in history they they actually oh my god yes uh <laughs> ronnie the rocket o'sullivan uh one of them's called the wizard of wilshaw <laughs> oh my god they all have great names and they take it seriously um so I, I mean, if you have, yeah, I, I can only imagine if you have to pick this name that you're going to be known by, you don't want to pick something that's embarrassing. <laughs> okay. Uh, the next thing is the Triple Crown series. The Triple Crown refers to winning the three most prestigious tournaments, which would be the World Championship, the UK Championship, and then the Invitational Masters Tournament. Uh, and the most Triple Crown wins, uh, so that's winning all three of them, is 20 by, again, Ronnie O'Sullivan. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And it looks uh, like he also has the record for the most ranking titles. Yep, at uh, 38. That's a lot. So he's very, very good, basically. Oh, yeah, he's amazing. Um, uh, but he also struggles with the game a lot. Like I said, he struggles with burnout. So mm-hmm. he'll just drop off. Like, his his record could be way, way higher. But he just chooses to not play for six months and then just comes to the, ter- the, the World Championship and wins. I mean, that doesn't surprise me considering you were talking about the games being so frequent and also i was looking um where did it go so the world championship can be very financially lucrative um there's a note on here that says the tournament uh had a five hundred thousand pound winner's prize uh starting in 2019 so like if you win that's 500 i mean it it's not exactly equivalent because exchange rates, but you yeah, know, yeah. it'd be the same as someone over here winning five hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, half a million dollars prize yeah, money. That's, that's a lot yeah. of money. Like, there's a lot of people in the world who can live off of that for an entire year, easily more than a year. Oh, yeah, for sure. So that's that's a lot of money. So I mean, if he's making that kind of money, he doesn't have to play every game. Right. I will actually mention one thing about Ronnie O'Sullivan. In a tournament once, this was not uh, the World Championship, but there was a tournament, and I can't remember what it was, who didn't... Uh, most tournaments offer a prize for the highest break of the tournament, and it's also a slightly better prize if it's a perfect game. Mm-hmm. Well, this particular tournament didn't. So, to to stick it to the firm, he, ha- he played a game and scored 146. <laughs> He intentionally putted a pink halfway through his run and then kept on going as if nothing had happened. So he was a little sassy. Yeah, he's a little sassy. I will be uh, right back. Also... My cat's trying to eat a paintbrush. Oh, good. Uh, okay, not a problem. <laughs> yeah, this cat is a menace. Literally just saw him go up on the crafting desk that's in the corner of my office. He looked at me leaned over and grabbed a paintbrush by the bristles, pulled it Uh, out of the paintbrush holder, proceeded to carry it in his mouth and look at me as he jumped down off the desk. He's a brat. He's a menace. (laughs) He's a cute menace, but he's a menace. (laughs) Uh, The longest time spent as world number one uh, in, in... sort of things was Stephen Henry for nine years Hmm. yeah Um, I'm guessing that was before Ronnie O'Sullivan started playing it was Uh, Stephen Henry has been playing since 1985 and he tentatively retired in 2012 and Hmm. that was before Ronnie took the scene he is also now 
came come back since 2020 as a player, and he's doing okay, but not nearly as good as he used to. <laughs> and yes, he won the World Championship in 1990, 1992, 93, 94, 95, 96, and 99. And while he didn't win all of the championships, he still won enough games to be ranked number one for those before for for the year. Very impressive. Absolutely. Uh, <clears throat> then we have maximum breaks. Oh no, no, done that one. Century breaks. Yeah. Uh, so this the players with a hundred confirmed century breaks in professional competition. There are a few char- a few people with a hundred century break. Oh, that's a really good question. I didn't actually explain that. A century break is when you uh, rock up to the table. Mm-hmm. And you play, and you, and when you leave the table, you've scored over a hundred without a miss. Oh, okay. So, so it's it's yes. you didn't get a perfect score, but you broke a hundred before you had to yeah. stop. Yeah, uh, and if you get a century, there's no way feasible for the oppo- the opponent to catch up. I was going to so. say because there's only a hundred and forty seven points on the table, Maximum, so if yeah. if you've broken a hundred, then instantly the game's over because your opponent can't score more. Mm-hmm. So. There are bunches of players who have a hundred, uh, and then it goes up to uh, the threshold of one thousand one hundred professional century breaks. Would you like to guess who that is? I'm, I'm gonna guess O'Sullivan. <laughs> yes, the closest people to him are who have over eight hundred, and that is John Higgins, Judd Trump, who's currently world number one championship, who won two years in a row mm-hmm. in twenty one and uh, twenty. And Neil Robertson, an Australian player who, personally, I like more than Robert, uh, Ronnie O'Sullivan. But that's just me. I like him quite a lot. He's a good player too, but he's not as good. And then Stephen Henry, who was the big winner during the 90s, has over 750. And then Mark Selby, who's won multiple championships within the 2010s, has 700. And uh, the next below, lowest one is uh, 550 with Ding Junwei, the first breakout player from China to join the World Championship Series. Very cool. Uh, possibly from Hong Kong? Uh, uh, Chinese, specifically. Well, the reason I'm wondering is because technically Hong Kong is part of China again, but Hong Kong was uh, you uh, know, controlled by Britain for a very, very long time. That's true. He so it would make I was just going to say, it would make sense that he's from that area, even if he's not from Hong Kong proper, just because that would increase his chances of exposure to snooker. For sure. Uh, he was born in Yingxing, so I don't really know if that matters. Mm-hmm. Uh, his also nickname is Enter the Dragon. <laughs> okay, I approve. <laughs> I approve too. So, okay, that actually, I had a question for you. Yeah. This nickname thing. I love this. Yeah. This this amuses me greatly. Yeah. Um, and especially the fact that they get to pick their own because then you get a they little do. bit of their personality thrown in there too. Uh, question for you. What yeah. is your, of, of the current professionals that you know of, what's your favorite nickname? Ooh. Well, Neil Robinson's is the Thunder from Down Under. Because he's from Australia. I like it. <laughs> Uh, I really do like that one. Uh, Judd Trump uh, is, uh, he's got two. Uh, the Juddernaut. Okay. 
Because his name's Judd. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's also got the ace in the pack, which I like that one more. Um, the ace in the what? Uh, the pack, as in the pack of reds. Okay. Uh, for anyone so. who didn't understand the pun with Juddernaut, a juggernaut was supposed yes. to be like a, a warrior of unstoppable force. Like in Marvel Comics, the X-Man named Juggernaut could basically crash through things and was unstoppable. Um, so calling himself I, the Juddernaut is saying he's unstoppable. Uh, okay, I've actually pulled up a list <laughs> of, the, of, the, of the names now. Um, there's, there's a lot. Um, What's the, um, I just blanked on her name, Rebecca... Uh, she didn't have one. Uh, she she hasn't been around for long enough to pick one for her yet. So, mm. uh, like I said, she's only just breaking into the the scene because she's fighting tooth and nail to get in. So it's a shame, but uh, I hope she picks something that sticks it to the man. <laughs> I hope so too. Sure. Uh, uh, there's one that's. Uh, Stephen Maguire is the Merlin of Milton. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Yeah, uh, but they're, they're all just a bit of fun. Mm-hmm. So. Okay, and then. Right, just a little something fun, though. And it's probably more fun to put that on your merchandise than just your name. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, so um, far, my favorite's Enter the Dragon. But. Enter the Dragon is really good. I like that one a lot. I'm, I'm biased because. Um, I'm a fan of Bruce Lee. Yeah, it's it's, it's great. <laughs> um, so, so the last thing that we can sort of cover is uh, uh, most ranking titles, which we've already said is thirty eighth with Ronnie O'Sullivan, mm-hmm. Stephen Hendry, who won late, who was the latest world title. Uh, sorry, not world title. Uh, most ranking title was in two thousand five. He he's he retired at thirty six. So Ronnie's only just started to catch up. Mm-hmm. Uh, John Higgins, uh, a player who's still playing, but played a lot, played more professionally in the nineties and the two thousands, has thirty one. Steve Davis has twenty eight. Mark Williams has twenty four. Judd Trump has twenty three, and so does Neil Robertson. I would love Neil Robertson to get to the top of the list, but uh, yeah, but he did win uh, a ranking title this year. Um, it would have been the UK tournament. Because the uh, the the world title hasn't happened yet. Uh, so, qu- I out of curiosity, why do you like Neil Robertson? Neil Robertson, uh, because uh, he uh, sometimes fobs off training uh, to play World of Warcraft, and I think that's just <laughs> a, such a relatable thing. <laughs> okay. Like his Twitter so, account is him talking about the video games he plays. So basically, I, he's a big nerd. <laughs> <laughs> he's a massive nerd. Also, he's Australian, so you know it's fun. Um, but yeah, he he started he, he started on the scene right as I started to really watch it. Like it was always on in the house because mm-hmm. my mom watched it a lot. But I kind of like it was like there, but I wasn't really taking much notice. So he was like the breakout player at that time. So it's got a, it's a mix of both. I think. Okay, that makes sense. But he's a very he's a very relatable player. Um, that reminds me. Was, the you mentioned before the reason that you like the game so much and that your family likes the game so much is that your grandfather played right he did yes uh he was a title holding uh player not any not any of the triple crown tournaments but 
other tournaments he, he won him, him and we have well we had trophies they burnt in a house fire but we did have trophies what was his nickname oh i wouldn't know i wouldn't need to ask i never even thought to ask that i don't know we could probably uh, google it uh i mean i'm curious i'm curious <laughs> i asked a question russ didn't know the answer to uh, yeah. uh, problem is, is he he was a local tournament winner. I don't know whether, mm. like he, I don't think he ever got onto the like the the top cut of the world or anything like that. I would need to ask him one because I'm not actually sure. Uh, unfortunately, I've googled his name and nothing has come up for snooker, okay. which is a shame. But, I mean, uh, it was this, also a very, very long time ago, so it could be something where there's not as much information this, that's been put onto the internet yet. It would have been pre-Crucible. Uh, it would have been pre-1970s Yeah. for, for him. Uh, but I will ask, because I'm not sure. But it'd be really cool if he had one. I mean, he might have even just had a local one, even if he wasn't yeah. playing with the top of the top. Oh, I found a really good one. <laughs> there's a player, uh, uh, there's a former English player called Nigel Bond, mm-hmm. and, has, and has gone for double O one four seven. That's pretty good. I like that. That's, that's pretty, pretty good. Pretty good. That's, that's pretty yeah. good. Okay, so, um, yeah, I think while I could carry on, <laughs> I don't know if carrying on is a good idea. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, there's plenty of topics I could talk for hours about yeah, you know ask me a cat sure. question <laughs> i don't need to test that theory i know <laughs> all right well uh, but yeah so yeah unless you have any other questions before we wrap up i'm trying to think if i have any but i i think for the most part we covered them mm-hmm. um i will say just you know from what little we've discussed i feel like snooker sounds like more fun than pool because there's more strategy that being said i am not particularly good at pool and would probably not be particularly good at snooker oh um it's 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 absolutely a spectator thing for me there is no way i play (laughs) yeah i i could see it being i mean I don't dislike watching pool, but I could definitely see snooker being a little more entertaining, especially with how rapid fire you could blow through the back and forth with the red balls. You could. Uh, the game does also slow down when there are safety with the safety play, which it happens more when someone's getting close to, like the point of no return marker, mm-hmm. uh, where they'll bounce the cue ball around the table, hit the red, and then send the, the cue ball back up to the top of the table behind a colour. Oh, so to mess with the next player. So so they can't... Uh, the idea is to snooker the opponent, which I can't believe I didn't cover. The word snooker. The word snooker uh, means to uh, force an opponent to miss. Mm. Uh, where So they have a colour ball in front of them, they need to hit a red ball, and they can't manoeuvre around the table to get to the red pack and miss and score a foul. 
Um, so that's what snootering would be. And that's gotcha. what they tend to. Uh, that's what they try and do to give themselves more of a buffer. And if they like where the uh, the cue ball ends on that foul, they can keep it there, or they can ask the person to redo the shot and try again and maybe foul again if they think that they've got them blocked. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Okay, that's right. Because you take a penalty if you hit the ball that's not the red ball. Or if you miss entirely. Right. Okay. Very tricksy. Yeah, it's great. Uh, but I think that was the last thing of uh, I mean, it's, I'm glad I asked that question because now we know what snooker means. <laughs> yeah. Um, it did start out as a um, a derogatory term. Uh, well, not derogatory. Uh, more of a... like N- Negative connotation. A negative insult for new recruits in the British Army when the game was being made. But that has since been dropped for forever. Now it's just to snooker an opponent is to make it so they can't hit or pot the designated colour they have to hit. Okay then. Wonderful. This was a lot of fun. Uh, mm-hmm. I can't believe I never thought about doing snooker before now. Um, <laughs> better late than never. Absolutely. Uh, it starts next week if you're in the UK or, or if you're in the US. I'm sure you could probably find it. I mean, uh, yeah, I'm sure we could probably locate it somewhere if we wanted to. Yeah, what what date does it start? Uh, it always starts on the... Oh, dear. I think it always starts on the Friday, but I will check the dates. I know it always ends uh, uh, Easter Easter Sunday. Okay, I don't know what Easter Sun if Easter Sunday is the same over there as it is here for us. Okay. Our Easter Sunday is this coming Sunday, the eighteenth, I think. Right, seventeenth, eighteenth. I'm looking at a calendar. Seventeenth. Uh, But that's the U.S. calendar. I don't know if... Because I know sometimes certain countries set up some of those holidays on a slightly different day. So I don't know if that's the case for you guys or not. Okay. Okay, so yeah, sorry. Starts on Saturday, uh, 16th of April. Okay. So it starts this weekend. And it ends on Monday, the 2nd of May. Uh, so, yeah, uh, so the so the first Sunday of the month there would be Easter Sunday. Oh, dear, that took a bit of time to get through. Uh, and then the, uh, but the Easter Sunday is a bank holiday weekend, which is why it goes on to the Monday, because there isn't uh, any work that day. That or, makes sense. Yeah. I don't think we have it as a holiday here. The Monday Maybe isn't. Okay, so with all that being said, I think we're going to wrap up because mm-hmm. we have talked for a long, long while. Yes, right. as is always the case. Uh, <laughs> it's always the case. Uh, as for next week, um, I believe we've mentioned something about potentially doing daylight savings, but we'll see what happens when we record next. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it changes up a little sometimes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, but either way, we will see you all in a couple of weeks. Yes. Uh, have a good whatever you're doing with your time. 
Yes. And for those of you that are going to be celebrating before we talk to you again, happy Easter. Yes. Happy Easter. Have a wonderful time. Bye, guys. Bye. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Geek Thyself. Don't forget to check out all the other amazing content on the Nerdsmith Network. If you have any questions for either of us, you can get in contact with us on Twitter at geek underscore thyself. You can also email us at geekthyself at nerdsmith.org. And please don't forget to go to iTunes and leave us a review or also go anywhere you listen to your podcasts. We'll be back next week with another informative and fun episode. And until then, don't forget to geek thyself. Geek thyself.